right, we are continuing our series, The Unlikely Family Tree. We have some reading to do this morning. Um, we're going to spend some time in the book of Joshua and in the book of James, but we're going to start this morning's message by reading from the book of Matthew, starting at the first chapter. We're going to read the first few verses so that way we can get an idea of whose life we're focusing on. So we're going to start with Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 1. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, we talked about her last week, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon, verse 5, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. I want to read verse 5 again. It says, and Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. This morning, we want to spend time looking at the life of Rahab from verse 5. As we're spending time in this series, we're finding people in this genealogy of Jesus that most people would avoid based on their mistakes and their lifestyle. Most people would be too embarrassed to claim these people as their relatives. I know that we've talked about this before, and it's been said even at other campuses. Most people, if you have Ancestry.com or you know about your family history, there are relatives that you poke your chest out and hold your, push your shoulders back and lift your head up because you are proud to be connected with that person. It may be a famous person or someone who made great impact Uh, with many lives. But then there's also some relatives when you're asked if you're related to them, you, you don't want anyone to know. There's always that one uncle, that one aunt that you act like you don't even know. They show up to the barbecue or the family reunions or, and we just don't, we don't, we don't know who they are or why they're around. There's always that one relative. But when you look at this genealogy, And we take some time to look at this, we find out that Rahab would have been considered one of these relatives. But when we take the time to focus on this woman's life, we'll not only see an example of authentic faith, but we will see an example of God's grace and his love in a way that many people would hate to acknowledge. Which brings me to the first point for this morning's message. God's love outweighs time and space. God's love outweighs time and space. So I'm going to start with Joshua chapter 2. We're going to begin at the first verse. It says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True. The men came to me, 
but I did not know where they were from. And, they, and when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hit them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, or she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan and Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. I want to spend a few minutes focusing on verses 9 through 11. And I'm going to start with verse 10 because I believe that this makes up most of the message. I'm going to start at verse 10 when she says, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. I want to give some background of what Rahab is talking about in reference to the Red Sea. Many of us know this story. We've heard it thousands of times. Many of us know how God opened up the Red Sea for the Israelites to walk through. We know the Israelites were in slavery uh, to the Egyptians for 400 years, and then God uses Moses to deliver the people from slavery so they can go to the land that he promised their forefathers. And so they're singing, they're dancing, they're making their way out of Egypt, headed toward the promised land, but then they run into the Red Sea. Now, we get excited about this part because we know what's about to happen, but they didn't know. And so when they get to the Red Sea, they see this as a dead end. They see this as a dead end. And then to make matters worse, they turn around and they look back and the same Pharaoh who agreed to let them go free has changed his mind and now is pursuing them along with 600 chariots with the intent to kill all of them. And so they begin to panic. They begin to worry. They begin to complain out of fear. And it seems as if God has abandoned them and it led them to a dead end to die. But God tells Moses to stand over the sea, lift his hands, lift his rod over the sea. And once Moses' hands and his rod is lifted, God opens the sea, makes it stand up like walls, and he opens it so that the Israelites can walk through on dry land. This is an incredible moment, an unforgettable moment. But as incredible as this moment is, you can imagine how frightening it was to walk through something like this. We get excited about this because we know the outcome. But put yourself in their shoes, people who had never seen or heard about anything like this. This is frightening. You can imagine how dark it was in there, how cold it may have been in there, how loud it was in there. This was a God moment. This was a God opportunity. But this story tells us that every opportunity that God gives doesn't always lead to a place of comfort. 
this tells us that some opportunity that God gives are scary. There are some doors that God opens that can be frightening because it may come with an increase of responsibility. Sometimes it may come with a pay cut. Sometimes it may come with a lack of support or faith from your family and your friends. God opened up the sea and it was frightening, but they had to go through it. They had to go through it. Not only was it scary walking through the sea, but then God allows their enemies to go into the sea too. So now the Israelites are in this dark place, this place of uncertainty, and now they're anxious. They're impatient because their enemy is pursuing them still. They're anxious as they're walking through the sea. In this moment, the Israelites are going through a lot. There's a lot going on in their minds. There's a lot going on in their hearts. But yet God still gave them the strength to go through a frightening season. And after the Israelites, they walk through, they make it to the other side. God closes the sea, closes the water on the Egyptians, on their enemies, and all of them drown. One more thing to point out, and then we're going to get back to the life of Rahab. After the Israelites walk through the sea, they get to the other side. They're praising God. It's a season of rest. But then they have to go to the promised land. But in order to get to the promised land, they got to go through the wilderness. So now it's another season of hardship. You see the pattern? A season of hardship, a season of victory and rest and celebration. But now they have to go through a dry season. A season of of hardship in a season of lack. They're going through the desert to get to the promised land, but because of their impatience, they began to rebel against God. So as a consequence, they would remain in the wilderness for 40 years. And in, in the, end of, the end of consequence, no one above 20 could go to the promised land except Joshua and Caleb. 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years had passed Why am I saying all of this? Because by the time we get to the story of Rahab, she's bringing up the Red Sea. That means 40 years has passed since we get to the story of Rahab. She may not have even been born when the Israelites went through all this. They went through a frightening season and Rahab wasn't even born. But yet Rahab still professes her belief in God and in Verse 11 of Joshua chapter 2, this same woman who wasn't even born still says, your God is the God of heaven and earth. Not only did this happen 40 years ago, but this happened almost a thousand miles away from where Rahab lived. This is before social media, before modern transportation. So this goes strictly by word of mouth. Again, why am I saying all this? Because some of us are facing frightening situations like the Israelites at the Red Sea. Some of us are in seasons of dry, we're in dry seasons of lack, like the Israelites in the wilderness. But I want to take time to encourage you by bringing something to your attention. Every season of hardship is not just for you. Everything that you go through is not just for you. God may want to use the hardship to touch the heart of someone who doesn't exist yet. 
God may want to use the challenges that you face to touch and save the soul of someone who's not even born yet. So when we go through these situations and we encounter these seasons of hardship and lack and this dry season like the Israelites, instead of complaining, one of the questions should be, whose heart does God want to touch? Whose life does God want to change through what I'm going through right now? Is it a grandchild? I may be 20 years old, but God may want to use this to touch my grandchild who hasn't even been born yet. Is it a mentee that I haven't come across? Is it a next door neighbor that hasn't moved in yet? Is it a coworker that hasn't taken the job yet? Rahab heard about the challenges of the Israelites that they faced And yet, 40 years later, this woman almost a thousand miles away is walking with the Lord because of something that a nation of people went through decades before. They didn't know who Rahab was. They didn't know anything about Jericho. They just had to go through this season because God had her on his mind. That's the heart of a God who wants a relationship with us. His love goes beyond time and space. It's not just limited to our time and our generation. It's not just limited to where we live and where we are in this current state of life. That's how much God loved Rahab. He loved her and he drew her to himself. She was already on God's mind before she was born, before the world was formed. God loved Rahab and wanted a relationship with her. And that same God feels the same way about you. When the king found out that the Israelite spies were in Jericho, he sent the soldiers to find out where they were and find them and kill them. But Rahab hid them because she had authentic faith. Which brings me to the next point. Authentic faith is greater than physical sight. Authentic faith is greater than physical sight. I want to point something out again from Rahab's statement in verse 10 because it reveals her level of faith. Rahab believed something. She believed in something she never saw. She believed in something she never saw. She feared the Lord based on something she never encountered, never saw with her own eyes. Why is that important? (laughs) Because when you go back to the story of the Israelites, they made it through the Red Sea. And they rebelled against God. When things got hard in the wilderness, they began to complain to God as if he couldn't provide for them. They saw God's hand at work and had a heart of unbelief shortly after. They got hungry in the wilderness. They complained, but God fed them. They got thirsty. They complained. God gave them water to drink. The water was bitter. They complained. God removed the bitterness from the water. They didn't like how God communicated with them because he didn't fill them in on his plans. They complained. And so not only did they complain, but they rebelled by building a golden calf and they worshiped the calf and made it their God. These are the same people who saw the most mind-blowing miracle a human being could ever see but they still worshiped idols. And Rahab saw nothing. Rahab encountered nothing. Yet this woman declares in verse 11, your God is the God of heaven 
and earth. This is based on what she heard. Our faith, if our faith is limited to what we physically see, then our faith is small. Our faith is limited. Faith is so much bigger than our physical sight. Physical sight helps us think logically. It helps us look at things logically. But faith helps us trust God. Faith, that's why the Bible doesn't tell us that faith comes by what we see, but faith comes by what we hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. Someone told Rahab what happened. Someone told Rahab what God did, and then her faith was built. Her faith was built because faith is built on a promise, not what we currently see. After God did the supernatural, the Israelites still rebelled. And the reason why they still rebelled is because their faith was completely based on what they saw and not God's promise to them. And so when they didn't see anything supernatural, their faith was shaken. That's one of the things that we need to understand as Christians because one of the biggest reasons why people say I don't believe is because I haven't seen anything. I haven't seen God, so how do you know he's real? I haven't seen certain things in the Bible take place, so how can I actually believe that? Let me ask you a question. If I were to levitate right now and I were to float over the congregation, or if I were to climb up these walls like a spider, I can promise you it would go viral, and I can promise you every Sunday starting next week would be packed. You couldn't find a seat. You want to talk about church growth? Let me climb up a wall. <laughs> Let me levitate. You could not find a seat because it would go viral. But if I don't do it ever again, watch how quickly it declines, the attendance declines. Because after a while, what they're seeing is beginning to fade away. That's the mind of human beings. If our faith is limited to what we see, when we don't see it, our faith will be shaken. Faith is greater than our physical sight. There are some things about scripture we just can't prove. There are some things about creation we just can't prove. There are some things about the great flood we just can't prove. The Red Sea, we, some things we just can't prove. Supernatural events in scripture we just can't prove. That's why we need faith. Because faith says if God said it in his word, I just got to believe it. That's what 2 Timothy 3 is all about. God's word is breathed out by the Holy Spirit, all scripture, everything we read is breathed out by the Holy Spirit. And so if God says it, faith says, I've just got to believe it, whether I understand it or not. Jesus was crucified and beaten brutally, but the Bible says his bones were never broken. Some people have a really hard time believing that because it was rare for you to go through a Roman execution and your bones not be broken. I don't know how to prove that, but God's word says it. How did Jesus go through all that and not one tooth was knocked out? Because a tooth is a bone. No ribs were broken, but the God's word says that. I just believe it. That's faith. We got to trust in God's promise to his people rather than what we see in this world. When the king found out 
that the spies were in Jericho. He sent the soldiers to find them and kill them, but Rahab hid them because of her faith in the Lord. Which brings me to the next point. Authentic faith is displayed by action. Authentic faith is displayed by action. We read in the book of Joshua. I'm going to go to the book of James now. James chapter 2, and I'm actually going to start at verse 26. James chapter 2, verse 26. James says, in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? You know, many people, before I unpack that verse, many people don't like the book of James because it seems contrary to the consistency of scripture. It seems as if James is telling, because in this letter, this letter that James is writing in John, James chapter two is talking about the value and the importance and the impact of our works. And so it seems as if James is telling people that we're not only saved by faith, but we're also saved by works. And that's why people can't understand how you can read James and believe Paul or believe Paul and believe James because Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, verse nine, he tells us that we are saved by grace through faith alone. But then it seems as if James is saying the complete opposite, that we're saved by faith and works. So it seems like a contradiction found in scripture. But when we take the time to read the book and we unpack the message, we'll see that James is not pushing a works-based salvation. He's saying that authentic faith is displayed by how we live. Because when he wrote this epistle, the life of sanctification was a bit foggy to many people. When he wrote this, many people thought that a person could profess that Jesus is Lord from their mouth, but they could go back to living how they were before their profession. But so James wants people to know that salvation is more than a verbal profession, but it transforms your heart. And the transformation of your heart is revealed by your lifestyle. And so he gives clarity by, by on what he's expressing by giving two examples, two great illustrations. One of them is Abraham and one of them is Rahab. And so I'm going to talk about Abraham shortly, but I want to focus on Rahab in Joshua chapter or James chapter 2 verse 26. So I'm going to read it again. It says, in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. So he points the story back to Abraham and the story of Rahab. Going back to Joshua chapter two, verse nine through 11, Rahab professes her faith in the God of Israel. And then she declares that the God of Israel is the ruler of heaven and earth. She declares him to be the God of miracles. And she refers to him as the God who can open the Red Sea and gives the Israelites victory in their battles, in their time of war. Although she professes this, how do we know that she meant what she said? Because in Joshua chapter two, verses three through seven, it says that she hid the spies from Jericho's army. When the king found out that the spies were in Rahab's house, he sent the soldiers to kill them. She could have exposed them. And when she exposed them, you know how much money she would have made? They would have paid her generously. She would have made serious money for exposing these spies. She could have received all the riches, enough riches to take her off work. 
enough riches to provide for the next generation if she would have exposed the spies. But instead of receiving riches by exposing the spies, she hid them. You know what this says? This says that Rahab understood that nothing in this world can compare to the power of God. The riches of this world have no comparison to the love and the grace and the mercy of God. So Rahab didn't just profess her faith, but she lived it out. That's what James is stressing. Authentic faith is displayed by action. Another point that we can learn from the life of Rahab found in James, my last point, God's grace is limitless. God's grace is limitless. So I'm going to start at verse 20 from James chapter 2. And I'm going to tie both of them together. Starting at verse 20, do, do you want to be shown, you foolish person? That's how James thought of people that thought that um, you could live any kind of way after professing your faith. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. When he brings up Abraham, he reminds us of the challenge that Abraham had to face in Genesis 22. Genesis 22, God tests Abraham's faith to reveal his level of faith in who God is. God spoke to Abraham. He commanded him to go up to Mount Moriah and offer up his son as a sacrifice. And what makes this more weighty, what adds more weight and impact to this story is that Abraham and Sarah couldn't have children for years. Years. So by the time Abraham had his son that God promised, he was an old man. And God tells this old man to go give your son that you have been waiting on for decades Sacrifice your son, lay him on the altar, and kill him. If I can be completely transparent with you all, there's no way in the world I would have obeyed God. There's no way. There's no way I would have been able to take my child, lay them on the altar, and take their life. There's, that's a huge fight. How many parents would struggle with this? How many parents would struggle? How many grandparents would struggle with this? Uncles and aunts would struggle with this. Some of us struggle with sacrificing our time. And God is telling Abraham to sacrifice his child. But the Bible says the next morning, Abraham woke up. He took his son. He went up to the mountain to obey God. And the Bible says that when Abraham pulled the knife to offer up his son as a sacrifice, the Lord stopped him and let him know it was a test. I really want to encourage you to read that chapter of Genesis, Genesis 22. James says in verse 23, he says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
and he was called a friend of God. Abraham believed God. That's found in Genesis 15, starting at verses 1. I'm going to read that. You guys don't have to turn there. I'm going to just read so you can hear it. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 6, and he believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. So Abraham confessed his faith in God in chapter 16, Genesis chapter 15, which is obviously before he sacrificed his son in Genesis chapter 22. So James, it seems like he's telling the story backwards, but if you read it carefully, you'll see that James is revealing how Genesis 22 is the evidence of Genesis 15. So because Abraham believed God in Genesis 15, his belief, his faith, his trust in God was proven by his works in Genesis 22. And because of this, God counted it to him as righteousness. So James, he uses Abraham as this great example of faith. He calls him Abraham, our father, the patriarch of the Israelite nation. Then he goes back, he points out Rahab. Rahab, the prostitute. Rahab, the non-Jew. Rahab, a citizen of a pagan city. He tells us how she recognized that the God of Israel is the God of heaven and earth. And he tells us how she hid the messengers. This woman knew that the judgment of God can't be compared to that of any king. And this profession was proven by her works of hiding the spies. He uses these great illustrations, Abraham and Rahab. Why did I spend so much time talking about Abraham when we're supposed to be talking about Rahab? Because after hearing Abraham's story, Abraham, our father, it makes sense for James to use him as an example. We can all understand that. Because Abraham walked with God. It's natural. It makes sense for James to use him as an example. When we read the scripture, no matter where you are in the scripture, Abraham's name is mentioned somewhere, multiple times, as an example of faith. But Rahab is a bit different. We get to Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute who lived in a pagan city of Jericho. She didn't walk with the Lord the way Abraham did. She would have been considered a wicked woman. Why would James use someone like her when you had people like Ruth, you had Esther, you had Deborah? Why would he use her? You know James, it's heavily believed that James is the brother of Jesus. So that means they had the same mother. Why didn't he use Mary as an example along with Abraham? I believe 
that James wanted us to see the beauty of God's grace and his mercy. I believe James wanted us to feel the weight of God's love by using two extremes. He uses Abraham, someone that everybody expects to be called righteous. And then he uses Ahab, someone that no one would expect God to call righteous. Abraham and Rahab had two totally different lives. But the one thing they had in common was that they believed in their heart that God is God of heaven and earth. And by their faith, they were saved. What does this tell us about God? God can transform the heart of anyone he chooses. When we see Rahab, when we find Rahab, she is still an active prostitute. God did not wait until she changed her life to draw her to him. God didn't wait for her to quit her job to save her. He met her in her current season of life. God didn't wait for her to change because the reality is that she couldn't change by herself. She couldn't change herself. She couldn't change her heart. Only God can do that work within us. We can't change in our own strength. It takes the power of God. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. God wants to purify your heart and your mind. He wants a relationship with you that's incomparable to anything in this world. No riches, no fame, no fortune could ever compare to the love that God wants you to experience. God's grace, it has no limits. His love, it has no limits. His mercy, it has no limits. God can change the heart of anyone he chooses. Rahab displayed her faith by how she treated God's people. And she covered them when the soldiers came to kill them. She hid them from harm. As we continue reading, I'm wrapping it up. As we continue reading Joshua, we'll see more of her display of faith. I'll read the last few verses of Joshua. Joshua chapter 2, starting at verse 15, it says, Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord into the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell us this business of ours, or if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said... According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So Rahab didn't just hide the spies, but she helped them escape. She gave them a safe route 
to go so they wouldn't get caught. She believed God and she displayed her faith by how she treated God's people. She displayed her faith by how she treated God's people. Why am I saying this? Because I want everyone to accept the reality that every Christian, every person in the faith may not get along. Every person that is saved may not get along. There are people in the Christian faith who are spirit-filled but get on your nerves. Is there anyone who knows a Christian that just gets on your nerves? Don't raise your hand. Don't just Everybody just look straight at me. Don't start looking around. We all know someone who loves God, but they just, we just don't see eye to eye. In fact, there are Christians in the Bible that didn't get along. You know how many people didn't get along with Paul? Paul and Barnabas, they didn't see eye to eye. I personally, I, I don't, in my opinion, I don't really know if Peter and Paul were the best of friends. There are people in the faith that just did not get along, and that's how it is even now. We will not get along with everybody. We won't see eye to eye with everyone. But the proof of our faith in Christ is how we treat the people that we don't get along with. We may have our differences, but the two things we have in common is our belief and our faith in Jesus Christ and our enemy, Satan. Satan loves to see division among God's people. In this day and time, with everything going on, we cannot afford to be divided. As God's people, we cannot afford to tear each other down. Rahab's faith, it was displayed by how she treated God's people. Rahab knew that she was going to face the wrath of God along with everyone in Jericho because of their evil deeds and their works. But Rahab said to the spies, we heard about the miracles of the Red Sea. We heard about how God was using you to defeat the kings and the kingdoms. She didn't say, I heard this. She said, we heard this. That means the entire city knew about God and still had no desire to change. They heard about the miracles and still had no desire to repent. They deserve God's wrath because they were sinful and God hates sin. But the Israelites told her, she told her that the nation is in trouble. He said, they said, your people will be destroyed. The wrath of God is going to be poured out on Jericho. But there is a way to escape the wrath of God. Take this scarlet rope, this red rope. Let it hang from the window. Gather your family, get them in the house. And Israel, when they come to destroy the city of Jericho, when we see that rope hanging from the window, you and your family will be saved. The Bible, it tells us several days later, there was a day that came that Israel stood at the wall of Jericho after marching around seven times and they shouted to the top of their lungs and the wall of the city fell down flat. They invaded the city and they destroyed everyone who lived in it except one family, a family from a house with a red rope hanging from the window. There is something about this rope that adds more weight and impact to the story, which brings me to my actual last point. Grace 
combat sin and rescues sinners. Grace combats sin and rescues sinners. There's something about this rope hanging from the window of Rahab's house. Before the rope hung from the window, the spies were locked in a sinful environment full of temptation with no way to escape. That's before the rope was hung. They were bound and they were destined to die by the hand of their enemies. But after the rope was hung, the spies could escape. They had access to freedom from temptation. They were no longer bound in a sinful environment. There's something powerful about this rope being hung. Before the rope was hung, Rahab was destined to die along with everyone in her city. She was going to face the wrath of God along with everyone in Jericho. But after the red rope was hung, she was saved. The Bible says that when Israel came to destroy the city, Rahab was still in the house. She was still in the city of wicked people who hated God. It was a city full of temptation and Rahab was still there. But though she was surrounded by sin and temptation, she was no longer bound by it because the red rope hung from her window. While she was surrounded by Israel's enemy, she was no longer seen as an enemy of God because the red rope hung from the window. Jericho was a sinful city, a sinful nation who faced the wrath of a holy and righteous God, a God who made us in his image and in his likeness. We all were like Jericho. We rebelled against God, trying to live life on our own terms, and our rebellion brought sin into the world, separating us from a holy God. And it put us in the place to deserve nothing but his wrath. We deserve to be punished for our sins just as Jericho was, but God loved us so much that he gave us his son. Jesus, God the son, lived in this earth a sinless life we couldn't live. He not only professed his faith and submission to the father, but he lived it out. He loved and he forgave his enemies. He remained humble even after being praised and celebrated. He didn't use his power to take advantage of people, but he used it to serve people, ultimately glorifying the Father in heaven. Jesus lived a sinless life. But we deserve God's wrath, but because Jesus' sinless life, he faced the wrath of the Father by dying on the cross for our sins. He was beaten and his body was ripped and torn. But just as the red rope ran down from the window of Rahab's house, The innocent red blood of Jesus ran down from his body. Jesus died on the cross, allowing the red blood to run and shed for us, the guilty. He was buried, and three days later, Jesus bodily rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. And because Jesus' innocent blood was shed, those who surrender to him as Lord are saved from the penalty of sin just as Rahab was saved when Israel defeated Jericho. When we are saved from the penalty of sin because of the blood of Jesus, though sin may have influence, it will never have dominion. Surrendering to Jesus, it gives us access to freedom from the bondage of sin. 
And just as the rope gave the spies access to freedom from Jericho, that's God's grace. That's God's grace to display to the world. We, like Rahab, live in a sinful world full of temptation. We fall short. We mess up. But when we surrender to Jesus, the Holy Spirit fills us and guides us back on track. The Holy Spirit gives us the scriptures providing instruction and encouragement on how to live a holy life in this sinful world. The Holy Spirit sends people who love Jesus and walk to walk with us in our process of growth. When we read the life of Rahab, we're reading the life of a broken woman whose sin was no match for God's love and grace. God opened her eyes. God changed her heart. God saved her. When we get to Matthew chapter 1, this same broken woman, her name is found in the family of Jesus. Rahab is mentioned in the book of James. Rahab is mentioned in the book of Hebrews as well. And when you read the book of Hebrews and you read the book of James, both James and the writer of Hebrews point out that she was a prostitute. Thousands of years after this past, they still point out that she was a prostitute. But it's not to bash her. It's not to throw her past back in her face. It's so that all the readers, we can read these passages and see God's unlimited love changing the hearts of anyone he chooses. Her name is in the family of God. When we read this story, the life of Rahab, we hear about a type of woman she was. My question to you. After reading this story and hearing about Rahab, who comes to mind? Who comes to mind in your family, in your friends, in your community? Who comes to mind? Is it a spouse who needs to be saved? Is it a rebellious child who needs mercy? Is it your enemy? Is it you? If God can change the heart of someone like Rahab and bring her into the family of God, he can use her to make an impact to the lives of his people, he can do the same with us. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you're from, God wants a relationship with you. And if you want to surrender to Jesus as Lord, I'm, getting, I'm wrapping this up. We have leaders that are going to come down, stand at the altar. They're going to pray with you. They're going to answer any questions you have. I'm going to pray. We're going to have a time of worship. After, I'm, after they sing, I'm going to come and do the benediction. But while they're in worship, there's going to be leaders that are here that are going to pray with anyone who wants to surrender their lives to Jesus, has any questions, they can answer and they can pray with you. So I'm going to pray. Father, thank you because you are a God of love. You are a God of mercy. Your love, your grace, it has no limits. It goes beyond time and space. We thank you, Lord, not only for the victories, but even after reading this story and seeing how the life and the struggles of the Israelites impacted Rahab, we even thank you for our struggles. We thank you for our hardship. We thank you for our affliction. It was good for us to be afflicted so that we may grow in our walk with you. We thank you for the times of struggle. And we pray, Lord, that as we are going through this time of hardship, we would remember that this is not only for us, but you may use this to touch the lives of someone who's not even born yet. Someone doesn't even exist yet. Help us to see this as an opportunity, see your hand at work. We thank you, Lord, for using this story to tell us and teach us that you can save and transform the heart of anyone you choose. And so we pray, Lord, that you would 
soften our hearts, change the way we see people. Allow us to see people through the heart of, and the lens of Jesus, that we may see people as souls that need saving. We thank you, Lord, for this time of fellowship, this time of worship, this time of teaching, this time of unpacking your word. And we pray that people would leave this place ready to grow in their relationship with Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.